episode 99 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. Biden gets a big win. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time, not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are as a people. Not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation of the battle, not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. So President Biden gets his bill, $1.9 trillion in relief aid. That will go a long way. It will not, it's not just about the $1,400 checks, which a lot of Americans will receive, and the $300 a week in additional unemployment benefits, which are so necessary for so many Americans. No, I, I mean, the aid to state and local government is, is so dire and so needed in this country. And I, I think that this is a major victory. And, and for the record, how the Biden administration framed this as a bipartisan win, even though no Republicans voted for it, in my opinion, is brilliant and should be used over and over again. Almost 70% of Americans supported passage of this bill. That included Republicans, Democrats, and independents, and people from all over the country, all income levels, all socioeconomic backgrounds, everyone. It it crossed every partisan line. It crossed every race and gender line. It was popular across the board. The only people who did not support it were obstructionists in the House and Senate. Obstructionist Republicans in the House and Senate decided that this was a bridge too far, saving Americans. The same people who were, were cool with $2.1 trillion when Trump were pre- was president. And Democrats got on board with that. No, they, they didn't want to do it anymore. They now have discovered that you know there's a Democrat in the White House. They don't want that person spending money because, God forbid, that person helps save America and turn out to be popular as a result. They can't live with themselves with that. So the Biden team said, look, this is a bipartisan bill. It has support across the political spectrum. And you know what? I think we need to start doing more of that in our politics because what some senator who's been in office for 30 years and decides that, hey, I'm more concerned about power and winning back the Senate thinks about a bill does not make it a bipartisan bill. I'm sorry, it does not. Mitch McConnell will oppose everything because he thinks that doing nothing and stalling Biden will lead to the Republicans controlling the Senate. And you know what? He's not wrong, which is why it's a good thing that Democrats figured out a way to get this bill passed. So hallelujah, it did get passed. And you know what else? I don't know if you were paying attention Sunday. I was. 
But uh, Joe Manchin, who, you know, I've said some tough things about here and in some things I've written for Occupy Democrats and other places. Uh, He was on the Sunday shows making the rounds and good on him for doing that because he was getting a lot of criticism. One of the things he said that really piqued my interest was that he was in favor of reforming the filibuster to make it a talking filibuster again. You know what? I'm all for that. Uh, That's a step in the right direction because that will lead to them not filibustering for long. And that will lead to things getting passed. See, these guys love it when they don't have to do anything to stall things. When they actually have to do something, they they don't want any part of that. Like, if Ron Johnson, the dopey senator from Wisconsin, had to sit through the clerk's 10-hour reading of, of the Biden COVID relief bill, if he had to sit through that, you think he would have made them do it? No way. We should pass a new rule right now in the Senate that says if you call for the reading of the bill, you cannot leave the chamber while the bill is being read. Sit there. Hold it in, Senator, while they read the bill. Because that was just a stupid, ridiculous stall tactic. You know, he, he has no care in the world for the people who have to do it, for the clerks who have to actually read it for 10 hours. You're interested in knowing what's in the bill? You could read it yourself, Senator. And you got lots of people on your staff, your bloated staff, that can read that bill too. That's a guy that I, I really, you know, he has not announced yet if he's running for re-election. He's up in 2022. If he, I, I hope he does run in 2022 because I'd really like to see him defeated in 2022. But I don't think he's going to run in 2022. I, I, I think he knows. I think the writing's on the wall in Wisconsin. Wisconsin has, you know, while it only gave Biden a, a very small victory uh, it did. It did give the Democrats the governorship and another Senate seat uh, in 2018, and I just think that 2022 is going to be a bad year for Ron Johnson in Wisconsin. I think the Wisconsin Democratic Party has found the formula how to win, and even with a massive Republican turnout with Trump on the ballot in 20, uh, 2020, Biden was able to pull out a victory by a very a very small victory, but a victory. So without Trump on the ticket, I don't think people are lining up for Ron Johnson. I mean, no, they're not. He only got elected to begin with because people thought he was Don Johnson. And they were like, oh, the Miami Vice guy lives in Wisconsin now? Awesome. He must have came here for the cheese curds. Cheese curds, by the way, are delicious. I know people are skeptical of it. But if you do have the opportunity to try some cheese curds, try some cheese curds. They're good. They're not. They're they're good. They're very good. You'll enjoy it. They squeak. I like food that squeaks. I don't know about you. I like food that squeaks. I don't like senators who squeak like Ron Johnson, who, you know, are obstructionist for obstructionist sake, no point in what he was doing last week, no point in what he ever does. So good. He should follow Roy Blunt and several others into retirement and stay there. Trust me, Senator Johnson, nobody's going to miss you. I'm not going to miss you. I mean, I might miss the content you provide me. But I'm not going to miss you. I'll figure out. I figured out a way to move on when the former guy left. I'm going to figure out a way to move on when you're gone too, Senator. But the bill is passed. I now have hope that we're going to get past this filibuster situation and maybe, just maybe, get some voting reforms done, get H.R. 1 through, perhaps statehood for D.C., perhaps. Uh, I I am, uh, look, The filibuster was designed to block voting rights. Wouldn't it be a great thing in America if the filibuster was destroyed to enhance voting rights in this country? 
to finally, once and for all, move past the Jim Crow era, which the Republicans have embraced. If you listen to Trump's CPAC speech last week, it was all about, we got to make it harder to vote or we won't have Republicans in office anymore. And, and by the way, true. If they don't make it harder to vote, they won't have Republicans in office anymore because Republicans don't have any ideas anymore. And I think the party's too far gone. I don't think it's savable. I think it's gone. I think they're going to have to start another party. Uh, but yeah, they don't win when people vote. So we'll see what happens. I think it's going to be, uh, it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks. He left that little, uh, nugget hanging out there and I don't know. I haven't seen a lot of people pick up on it, but I would take them up on that offer this week. I would go back into session this week and say, okay, we're going to, um, we're going to make this a talking filibuster. If you want to filibuster, you could filibuster. You could talk like it used to be like Mr. Smith goes to Washington. If you haven't seen Mr. Smith goes to Washington, go see it back then. If you, any Senator could talk for as long as they wanted on any issue, but if they stopped, they gave the floor back and then we could call the question and move on. So let's have a talking filibuster. Let's make somebody sit there and talk. Filibuster used to be about small groups of people with individual grievances over a bill. Now it's the partisan way to get things stopped. And I've had enough of it. I think America's had enough of it. And some people say to me, well, Chris, wouldn't that be bad if Republicans take office again? I go, yeah, maybe. Uh, You know, but elections have consequences. Elections have consequences. And people are elected to govern. And if the Democrats do not govern, if they do not pass legislation, if they do not get done what they promised the American people they would get done, then they shouldn't get another chance, right? And if you're telling me that some relic of Jim Crow is going to stop you from advancing your agenda because one or two Democratic senators, Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin, don't want to get rid of the filibuster for whatever reason, I don't know, probably for the reason that people are saying, well, wouldn't it be bad if uh, Republicans took over? Trust me, if Republicans wanted to get rid of the filibuster, they would. I believe that elections should have consequences. I believe that the majority should rule. That doesn't mean I don't think that the minority shouldn't be heard, but they are the minority. Okay, the governing party needs to govern and then they need to live and stand before the voters on the decisions they made when they were governing. You can't just go back to the voter and say, well, I couldn't get it done because I needed 60 votes instead of 51 Give me a break. Nobody cares about that. Nobody wants to hear that. That's not a winning political strategy. So I'm hopeful right now, extremely hopeful that this will move, that we will see this change, that we will you know, be able to get legislation passed. I mean, let's talk about the $15 an hour minimum wage. Now, I mean, listening to Manchin... On the Sunday shows, everybody's in favor of raising the minimum wage. They just don't know what it should be. I like his idea of indexing it to inflation, whatever we come up with right now. And if it's not going to be $15 an hour, I don't think it should be $10. Uh, but I think we could live with $13 or $12, $12.50 and index it to inflation so that there's every year it goes up and we don't ever have to be in this situation again where we have a $7 and what is it, $7.25 an hour minimum wage. I mean, it's ridiculous. I just believe, I also believe it should be indexed to cost of livings in different regions of the country. It is much more expensive to live in New York City than even upstate New York or Alabama or West Virginia. 
It is not, it doesn't, it's not the same everywhere in the country. And we've got to take, you know, companies do that. Corporations that have offices across the country, they index their salaries based on the region of the country that they're in. And I think we should do that too. Now, I know that some states have taken up their own minimum wage laws. There's a lot of states that already have $15 an hour minimum wage. We talked about it last week in Florida, where Trump got reelected by a very small margin. The minimum wage won with 60%, $15 minimum wage in the state of Florida, which went for Trump, which has been a pretty reliable red state since Obama. So, I, I you know, raising the minimum wage is another one of those issues that Biden and Democrats should raise as a bipartisan issue. Across this country, people support a $15 an hour minimum wage. And it needs to get done. And I get it. Some senators, even Democratic senators, are not supporting it. We saw that seven or eight of them voted against Bernie's amendment. It not, it's not necessarily mean they wouldn't vote for an increase in the minimum wage. Let's come up with some sort of compromise and let's get it done. The people who are living on a minimum wage need a raise right now. They need to be able to afford to live if they work 40 hours a week. Enough with this nonsense. And and let me say one more thing on this topic. If somebody's working for $7.25 an hour somewhere in this country on the minimum wage and they're an adult trying to raise a family, they are not living on that salary. So what are they doing? They are relying on benefits like um, Medicare, Medicaid. Um, they're probably getting food stamps. They're getting supplemented by us anyway. So basically what I'm doing is I am paying my taxes and you are paying your taxes and some company somewhere is exploiting a worker for $7 and 25 cents an hour, but they're not only exploiting that worker, they're exploiting you. They're exploiting the rest of the country that's paying into the system that is now supporting their employee. We are subsidizing their employee. And that shouldn't, that, look, that shouldn't go. We shouldn't have that in this country anymore. You shouldn't need food stamps if you work full time. You should be able to afford to eat and to live in America, the richest, most successful country in the world. And I'm grateful that we have these safety nets in this country, but they shouldn't be for people who work for 40 hours a week. Those companies should be paying them a living wage so that they don't have to rely on these supplemental benefits. So we're paying for it anyway, which is another thing that drives me mad. We're paying for it anyway. I, I heard an interview with Ezra Klein over the weekend who said, and he said something about Joe Manchin being text every day uh, from one of his staffers texts him the amount of the national debt every single day. Um, Joe, really? Um, you really need to read the deficit myth. And you really need to understand that that's not the game here. The game is inflation. If we can keep inflation under control, we don't have to worry about the deficit or the debt. And we could write it, you know... It's something that we can easily erase in this country. We've done it before. We're going to do it again. We're going to have to do it again after these crises we've been living through. We're going to have to. And we should. And we shouldn't worry about it. Most of the debt in our national debt is to ourselves. It is not to anyone else. Don't let anybody tell you that we're selling our souls to China. China owns a very small amount of the national debt. Very, very small amount of it. And, you know, after the four years we had with Mr. Spend Happy, who was raising deficits and debt more than any other president, and this is prior to COVID, I don't want to hear Republicans find religion on it again. And I've told you this before, and I'll tell it to you again. 
I, I've had it. So Joe, you know, rather than thinking about the national debt every day, why don't you think about how many children died in this country every day because they didn't have enough to eat? Talk about the child poverty rate. Have somebody text you the child poverty rate every single day, every day. Have people, you know, you know, find out how many Americans have full-time jobs and are getting food stamps in America. Have that number text you every day from one of your staffers. Have them look it up every day. Somebody works full-time and is also on food stamps. That's what you should know. That should be your concern, Joe. Don't worry about the debt. You really don't understand it if, you, if that's what you're worried about. All right, I have a very good guest, uh, Kimberly Johnson. She's uh, a major activist, uh, been around. Uh, she's also was an actress uh, on a soap opera. We talk about that uh, a little bit as well. Um, she does a great interview. You know, here we are. Uh, it's March. It's uh, Women's History Month. Uh, we should be celebrating women and, and strong female voices, and Kimberly's a strong female voice. So uh, check out my interview with Kimberly Johnson, and then I'll be back to wrap it up. Joining me now, Kimberly Johnson is an author. She is at author Kimberly on Twitter. She is the host of the Start Me Up podcast and the author of a bunch of books, Peyton's Choice and The Virgin's Diaries. You read, a, you read her in the Huffington Post and other places. Kimberly, how you doing? I'm good. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. So, you know, reading up on you a little bit before uh, this interview, found out that you were an actress uh, on Days of Our Lives for seven years. Now, I, you know, I'm a New Yorker and I grew up as an actor (laughs) and uh, auditioned, I think, for Days of Our Lives like 10 times, never got in. I either looked too old or looked too young for the part that they were looking for me (laughs) at the point. So so, uh, we have that in common. Uh, but you know, what really interests me is your political views. And it's interesting how you went from the world of entertainment to becoming this political activist, particularly on issues of, of, of women's, uh, rights and, uh, et cetera. Uh, why don't you tell me, just walk me through how that transition happened for you. Well, none of it was intentional. I mean, initially I, you know, I, when I was a young person, I decided I wanted to be an actor and I studied acting and, uh, I was fortunate enough to be in a studio where my, my acting coach knew, the casting director for Days of Our Lives. And it's funny because my mother and I have partnered up over the years. But anyway, she was in that acting class, and both of us wanted that casting director because we both watched Days of Our Lives. Long story short, the woman came in. She, My mother actually got more work than anybody in the acting studio. She played Eliana, which was the maid to the evil Stefano Demira, and then I played a police officer. So, you know, I did that. I was an actress for about 10 years, and I decided I just didn't want to do that anymore. I went into sales, did sales for about 10 years, and then I had this idea in in the midst of that sales career that I wanted to do a book about how people felt when they had sex for the first time. Mm. Not so much about the physical but the emotional, because when I was a little kid, I was interested and I didn't have anybody I could talk to. So my mother and I collaborated on this book, The Virgin Diaries. So this finally came to fruition about 2010. It was released in 2010. So I was going, now. I, I basically figured at this point in my life, I was still doing sales, but I thought, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put this book out and see what happens. And just one thing led to another. And it it basically, Rush Limbaugh went after Sandra Fluke on his radio program and called her, I don't know if I can say it, but it's the S word. Yep. And, and uh, so... I remember it well. 
Yes, and so I wrote, I wanted him to attack me. <laughs> so I wrote an open, le- uh, open letter to him on my blog, and that, he didn't pay any attention to it, but that led to somebody, uh, it was an independent blogger, found me, and I started writing politics, women's rights, and that's pretty much how it started. And interestingly, I was asked to speak at the We Are Woman rally, and I think it was 2012, and I met a woman who asked me if I had if men and women were equal in this country and I I think I said yes and she's like no because they're not in the constitution and she told me about the equal rights amendment and from that moment on I became an advocate for the ERA. And it is amazing that the ERA is still not Yeah. Uh, you know, it's still not part of the constitution. I mean they 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 passed it through Congress in the 70s or the 6 late 60s and and it's just been banging around for, you know, so what happened was it, it, back in the 80s, we had like 35 states and you need 38. So there was, you know, it, it stalled because of Phyllis Schlafly and her push to stop it. Yeah. And it stopped. And so for all these years, we still needed three states. But then there was a deadline attached to it. The deadline expired. I think that they um, extended it once. And so when Trump became president, first first state to go was Nevada. They ratified it. And then in 2018, Illinois ratified it. And then in January 2020, Virginia ratified it. So we've got all 38 states now. Now there is a legal battle because of this deadline. Right. Of course, you know. It's amazing because the Constitution doesn't mention anything about deadlines for no. amendments. It just says <laughs> the states may amend it. But for some reason, the men that passed this amendment in Congress put a deadline on it because they didn't want right. it to pass. They didn't want it to become law. I mean, you know, it's a it's a shame because it would be, you know, I'm a father of daughters and, you know, my daughter the other day said, you're a hardcore feminist, dad, which made me very happy because I am a hardcore feminist and I have been one my whole life. It has nothing to do with being a father of daughters. And me, it's, you know, you you grow up in America and you you try to chase out injustice wherever it is. And I think that, you know, to me, it appears that that the injustice towards women in this country is 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 among the greatest and it's it's very much overlooked especially women of color and you know i do i would like to point out though with the equal rights amendment it's basically just equal rights for everybody on it's it's you know nobody basically it says that you can't discriminate on the basis of sex right it protects men too it's just that men don't have as much discrimination to deal with but if it were to come up um, you know, I know that there's instances where fathers feel like the mothers get the special treatment in the court system. Well, you know, and in some cases that might be the case. So, you know, the ERA would step in and help them in that instance. But it really, I mean, it really, women are the ones who would benefit it. Maybe that's a way to get it passed. I mean, all these guys that, that are getting divorced in these state legislatures, yeah. they might they might welcome uh, a law that gave them an equal footing in those courts in some of those states. Because, I, yeah. you know, I, I think a lot of people feel that the justice system when it comes to, uh, you know, divorce tends mm-hmm. to be more punitive than, than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, every, obviously every family is different. Every case is different. But I mean, I, I know somebody that uh, I used to go out with in high school and he was having a hell of a time getting, you know, custody and it was upsetting for him. And I know he was a good dad. So I think that, you know, I mean, really, again, the ERA would benefit women because women are the ones who are, especially women of color, but they're the ones who face the most discrimination. And so that's where we would see the justice come in. But hopefully I know there are people who are working in it. Lawyers are there you know, with their prepared arguments. And I don't know exactly what is going on right now, but uh, I do know that 
there are things happening behind the scenes. Well, let's hope, you know, let's yeah. hope it does, because frankly, you know, it, 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 it does. It's something this country needs to ratify. It needs to be part of the Constitution. We haven't had a constitutional amendment in a very long time. We haven't had a real substantive one in a real, real long time. Absolutely. So it's, it's you know, there's been some technical amendments here and there about technical things. Mm-hmm. But I think that a substantive amendment that expands the rights of people in this country uh, would be good at this moment, considering, you know, where we've been the last four years and where we are right now. Um, you know, and, and I, you know, and, and while I do think that um, rights of women and, and people of color and, and LGBTQ communities are going to do better under this presidency, uh, it could be temporary, uh, as we have learned. Yeah, that's that's the thing that what well, you know. I my big thing now is just I, I believe Democrats in general, but whether it's voters or the party or anybody involved, we need to really push the benefits of democratic rule. And it's not that I'm you know have blind allegiance to one party and an un, unable to criticize them. I'm all for criticizing our leaders because that's what I mean. We pay them. Yeah, they're working for us, and so if they if they do something that we feel is wrong or we're upset by it, I think we should be vocal. But that doesn't mean we have to attack them. But I think it's important for Democrats to really, they're, they're, so, they're better at governing than they are at messaging. Yeah. I would like to see them really pushing why it's beneficial for you, you know, for Main Street to vote for Democrat, whether it's the economy. Usually that's the number one thing. And so I think the Democrats should explain whether it comes to health care and how the ACA benefits you, because it's not just about... The, um, most of the time what they focus on is pre-existing condi- conditions. Yeah. Like, you know, women don't get charged more now. They're not discriminated against based on gender. There's so many things about the ACA that are good and that we can build on. And I'd like for Democrats to really start pushing their value. I, and I agree. And I think that they've got to push to actually get things done, right? I, I got a column coming out tomorrow about how it sucks to be a neutral, especially when you work on a hill like Capitol Hill, you know, you're going to roll backward. Uh, and the Democrats tend to get stuck in neutral when they, when they take power, because there's a couple of, you know, a couple of guys in the Senate and the, and the house that are living in the 1990s and think that moderation is the way to go. That moderation is not the way to go anymore for Democrats, because frankly, the Republicans have moved the debate so far, right. That the democratic p- position is the middle, <laughs> you know, you've, you've got to kind of like move forward or you're going to just be falling down the hill. Kimberly, they're they're debating this. Uh, well, they're not really debating it. The Republicans in the Senate are trying to stall the passage mm-hmm. of Biden's COVID relief package. Yeah. Uh, you know these these people have no shame. I mean, it's not the thing that 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 gets me about Republicans. They will stick to their guns no matter how unpopular it is with the public. Sixty percent of Republicans support the Biden COVID relief plan. Sixty percent. Mm-hmm. So why does Ron Johnson feel the need to gum up the Senate, making people read a bill for 10 hours? <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, they, they constantly and consistently confuse me, and I, 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 don't, I don't understand them. I mean, I, I can't believe what I'm seeing. Every day I say that. I, can, I say it out loud. I cannot believe the way the Republican Party is behaving. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's like... What, what, God, when I see people say, you know, both parties are the same, it's like, you're obviously not paying attention. No, they're not. I hate the both sides argument. It drives me nuts. Yes. It just, so I don't know. I don't know why they would do that. I don't know how that benefits them. 
because there's clearly some kind of benefit they think they must be getting. I, I can't imagine why else they would be doing it with such a popular bill. I mean, they can't talk about debt anymore. They just <laughs> supported a president who raised the debt more than any other president in one term ever. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not like yep, they're going to talk about that stupid, you know, o- under Obama. They used to say, we don't want to <laughs> have our children and grandchildren playing, paying for this nine hundred billion dollar bill, by the way, mm-hmm. under Obama. This is they've passed trillions of dollars under Trump and this is two trillion dollars. You know, it, it, I, I'm a big believer. Uh, I don't know if you know who Stephanie Kelton is. She's got a book out called The Deficit Myth. Um, I don't. I'm kind of moving in. The, I don't know that I'm quite 100 percent in her camp. Uh, it's called Modern Monetary Theory, but I'm getting there. I'm kind of closer to that than I am to any other uh, economic theory. These guys have no leg to stand on. We are in a crisis. We need to spend money right now. And as long as we're not inflating the currency, you know, we we can do what we need to do here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was actually talking to someone who brought up the idea of just printing more money and giving people money. Right. A thousand dollars a week or something like or or however much because we can we can do that. And basically what's going to happen is A, if the Democrats did that, they would just win everything all the time. Um, but then money would be flowing into the economy and we would have a thriving economy. So I, I know it's not as simple as I'm making it, but in a way it is. And the way that it was explained to me by someone, you know, months ago, <laughs> I don't remember the details, but it was like, yes, absolutely, we should be doing things like that. But, you know, it's, it's, I don't understand what, whatever the Republicans are going to do moving forward. I, I, I'm, I'm sure they're going to continue to perplex Well, me. they're going to be obstru- obstructionist again. That's what they do, right? That, which is why, like, I, you know, if I'm Mitt Romney or Lisa Murkowski or Susan Collins, you know, why am I staying with these guys at this point? They're not going to support me for re-election. They're, right. Susan Collins is going to get primaried again in Alaska by some nut. She might lose that primary and then run a writing campaign like she did six years ago, and she'll win. So yeah. why is she sticking with them? Just leave. Walk away. Yeah. Walk away, Lisa. I don't have any markets in Alaska, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but uh, but walk away. I don't know if you could pick me up from my Idaho station. Uh, just walk away, Lisa. <laughs> yes, I agree, and I I think I don't I don't get it. I don't get it. But you know, this is what we're going to have to deal with moving forward. And unfortunately, with Donald Trump being president for four years, he changed the landscape in so many ways. Obviously, Republicans were obstructionists before he came in, but now that he's been there, he has changed the game. And, you know, I thought, I really genuinely thought that they would feel like, okay, we are going to separate ourselves from him. Even if he's got this base that's hungry for him, I think that it would make sense to me, at least it made sense to me before he lost, that he, you know, they would say, all right, well, he's a loser. Right. He's dragging our party down. Just in, the, in some time, people will start moving on from him. But they're just embracing They're him. just, they're going to go down with that ship because they don't yeah. know how, they don't know what else to do. Because yeah. look, look, they haven't had real philosophy in a long time. No. Right. Their philosophy is just fight Democrats. They, yeah, exactly. their, their plan is to own the libs. I don't mm-hmm. understand. And, and to suppress the vote. Right. Which is why yeah. they are pushing back so hard against H.R. 1 and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. You know, they, they don't want Americans to vote. 
and that's their, you know, that is yeah. their bread and butter. I mean, you see right. what's going on in Georgia, where they are making it a crime to hand out water to people waiting in these seven mm-hmm. to ten hour lines that Republicans create for inner city Democrats. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it is it's it's nonsense. This this is who they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really sad, and I mean, we just as voters. We have to take some more responsibility because if you, you know, half the, half the country doesn't vote and Democrats usually don't show up in midterms. Fortunately, they did in the last two. Yes. Um, or the last, last midterm, I should say, then, in 2018. Um, but prior to that, when Obama was president, I know in 2014 we had the worst voter turnout in, since 80 years. Yeah. And obviously in 2010, that's. Democrats didn't show up and the, and the and, and we're going to pay for it. We've been paying for it ever since. And we're going to pay for it again because Republicans have gerrymandered these districts yeah. to in such a way that, you know, we're still paying for 2010 and now they're going to get another chance to do the same thing. Yeah, exactly. And so we have to understand that. And, you know, it's great that we had a motivator. I think that there's a lot of um, like, for instance, in 2020 and even in 2018, I know there was a lot of grassroots organizers that made those elections successful for yep. Democrats. But I think really the biggest push was Donald Trump. People just didn't like him and they were voting against him. Now, obviously, he got a lot of votes in the election, but he was still uh, beaten pretty badly. Yeah, eight million votes. <laughs> but Democrats won the House of Representatives by 43,000 yeah. votes. You know, and that's just not look with the gerrymandering of this country yeah. that's going to happen in the next you know year uh, without passing H.R. one, which would make it harder for Republicans to gerrymander. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I am deadly concerned about what's going to happen next. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like thinking about it too hard because I, whenever I do my podcast and I have somebody on, I'm kind of like the Debbie Downer, <laughs> hoping that they're going to provide me with some kind of, um, I don't know, miracle. I've had people say, well, I'm not going to start worrying about it until March. Okay, well, it's March. Yeah. And, you know, there, there, it's various answers, but basically we've got a problem on our hands. It's the gerrymandering. It's the white supremacy. It's the obstruction. It's so much. And they're not going to stop. No. So we can't. They're, by the way, they're not going to stop and they don't care if it's unpopular. They know it's unpopular. This is why I keep telling these, you know, moderate Democrats, they don't care if it's unpopular what they do. They just do it. That's who they are. They are all about power. And quite frankly, if Democrats are given power and they don't do anything with it, they will lose because their people will not come out to support them. Yeah, it's gonna. It's, it's very disappointing. I mean, I will, but I'm like live in politics. Yes, <laughs> but yeah, actually, the main the main streeters in America, they're they. Be, it's like I was saying, they vote from their purse. Right. You know? I mean, they're looking at their home and they're like, "Can I afford my life? Am I comfortable?" And if they're not, that's when they vote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, it's a shame. And Republicans know that if everybody votes, they don't win. They've right. said it as much. They said it to the Supreme Court of the United yes. States when they're fighting against uh, voting rights. They they don't want Americans to vote because they can't win when people do. So make it hard for them. That's their whole thing. You know, let's talk about Texas and these macho mandates to, you know, take off your mask now because, you know, I need to distract you from my failure of keeping your lights on and having you freeze to death because it's 30 degrees and we got two inches of snow and nothing worked in Texas. 
Yeah, I just, I mean, seriously. And, and the thing is, obviously, since this has begun, since COVID started, there's always been this group of people who just, they don't want to be bothered. And really, it makes me sick because we are so spoiled in this country. We have been given so much for such a long time. Obviously, not everyone. But, you know, there is this spoiled kind of quality that so many of us have and we expect and we're entitled and it's it's worse i think when you get into red states but i will say i know plenty of liberals who are not doing what needs to be done yeah they wear their masks but they have you know girls nights well you know it's like one thing for like a group of people to be like i'm so fed up i'm gonna go out i'm gonna i'm gonna risk my life here and uh you know go go out and have a drink yeah. It's another thing for the governor of That's your right. state to right. say, go out and have fun. You know what? South Padre Island, we're going to have some wet t-shirt contests under spring break. Come on down. Everything's open. And maybe you won't get that variant that right. might kill you. Right, 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 right. You don't need your shots. Just come on out. Yeehaw. <laughs> you know, we're so I mean, close. We are so close. I mean, I watch MSNBC every night. And Chris Hayes is like begging people like, please, we just have a month. Right. I mean, we're months. like literally like six weeks away from being able to do whatever the hell we want. They got to do it now because they're little whiny little babies. Yeah. And it's just ridiculous. And I'm and sure this is driving you crazy. are going to die. Right. Yeah, you know, you, I get it. I am sick of this too, Kim. Yeah. I, I am sick of it. And by the way, it's Kimberly with an EY. Yeah. If you're looking for an author, Kimberly with an EY, her mom had a thing for vowels. So, you know, they yeah. thought, she thought she liked that sexy E. She got it. Uh, it's in her name. Uh, but, it, you know, I, I, I get it. I'm sick of it too. I am so yeah. sick of it. I want to go to a concert or a ball game. Really bad. I want to go to a restaurant so much. I just want to go to a, I mean, I haven't, you know, I have probably been the safest person in America because since last March, I have only gone, with the exception of I had to stay with my mom when she got her hip operated on. But, you know, like, I go to the grocery store and maybe CVS, and that's it. And I, I cover myself. I wash everything I bring in my home. I wash it off. And, you know, it's at the point now where the numbers are lowering. There are fewer cases where we live. But... I'm not taking a risk because there are people who are, there's early onset Alzheimer's from yep. this. There are, there's lung damage. And, you know, Alyssa Milano was posting on Twitter that she's a long hauler and she was losing her hair, although gratefully it's, it's coming back. But she, she got sick last April and she's still going through exhaustion. I just don't want to have to deal with that. No, so, I don't either. And you know what? I don't want to be the last person to die from it either. Yeah. You know, like like John Kerry had that famous speech who, you know, who's going to be the last person to die from a mistake uh, in Vietnam. I don't want to be the last person. And maybe maybe I'm not the last person to die. Maybe I'm the last person to transmit it to their parents who die. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, and I don't want to do that or my kids. It's just, yeah. you know, we don't we I I get it. We're all frustrated by it. Yeah. But this is nonsense what they're doing in Texas and what they're doing in some other states. And you know what's even worse? Ron DeSantis in Florida making a deal with with some wealthy donors mm-hmm. to give them the shots first. I mean, right? Uh, yeah, I, these people who are acting like go sacrifice grandma and grandpa, and you know, and then oh, hey, wealthy friends, here, you know, immunize. I got an immunization for you. It's, yeah, it's unbelievable their behavior. It's it, unbelievable. Well, you know, it's not surprising, right? Because Republicans believe that to be rich is to be good, right? Right? To be deserving. That's their philosophy. I yeah. mean, they seem to think it's some sort of Christian philosophy. 
but I read the Bible and I don't think that's what Christ was talking about when he said it was harder for a rich person to get into a heaven than for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. I'm just saying, didn't see him hanging out with a lot of rich dudes other than Lazarus, who was dead, probably had, probably got Corona because he went out drinking with some of his buddies. You know, it's just wear his mask. No, he didn't wear his mask. So it, it's it's just a it's it's just amazing to me the the insensitivity and how how there are any working class people in this country who support this nonsense. They they only support it because they're they, the only thing they could be supporting it for is because they're afraid of people of color and women and, and others. Yeah, and then they're also not getting accurate information. I had a friend that I used to know in my early 20s, and of course we, we keep up on Facebook, and she was posting, and this was last year, probably like last April, she was posting misinformation about COVID. And I messaged her and I said, this isn't true. This has been debunked and whatever it was. And she was getting into it with me and telling me that I was like, look, you need to pay attention to doctors and nurses and the scientists. Those are the people that you need to get your information from. And she told me that because I was getting my information from Dr. Fau- or from Fauci, that I was close-minded. Yeah. No, you get your information from the New York Times. I got it from some guy I never heard of on the internet. He's telling me the truth. Exactly. It's because it's because those blogs and those you know those unknown websites were saying what everybody wanted to hear. Right. They wanted to hear that they could go hang out with their friends, so they didn't want to hear that they had to make a sacrifice. And you know what? Basically, my sacrifice. Of course, it was for other people. I wear my mask, so I don't. You know. I can protect other people, but really it's about protecting myself. Right. I want to protect people that I love and myself, and that's why I do it. And, you know, and it's, it just, it just, it's unfortunate that we had a president during the coronavirus outbreak that was so inept. Not only was he inept, he understood how dangerous it was, and he just didn't care. And he lied, and he lied, and he lied, and it was all about him. Yeah, and- we could have been like New Zealand or some of these We could have been like any other country in the world. There is no success here. We have a half a million people dead, and millions more have it, and we still don't have it under control. Uh, and it's driving me crazy. All right, Kimberly Johnson. She's at author Kimberly with an E-Y. Yes. On Twitter. Make sure you follow her on Twitter. Uh, and because she's got a lot of good stuff and she's got a podcast out there. What's it called? Start me up and it's on Patreon. Patreon. And when, when does it come out? I do it. Every, I do free shows every Monday and Wednesday and those come out and I always tweet them and everything. You do three shows? No, I do Monday and Wednesday. Oh. Actually, I do four because I do Monday and Wednesday free shows free ah. then i do patrons only shows that Ooh. so i do bunches of shows i got no idea what that's all about my just, they just sell ads on mine and i just do it i <laughs> send it out there by the way you'll be in my podcast on tuesday the aggressive progressive wherever you get your podcast kimberly johnson you are the best thanks for joining me hope you enjoyed kimberly she was great she's at author kimberly on twitter that's kimberly with an ey at the end um, check her out on Twitter. She's fantastic on Twitter. That's actually how I got to know her. So uh, you should check out her posting. She's always got something interesting to say. I'm going to close by talking about what everybody's talking about, this Meghan Markle interview uh, with Oprah that occurred over the weekend. And I'm not going to talk so much about the interview. She made a startling revelation that a member of the royal family told her husband that uh, they were concerned about what uh, what the kid would look like, what his skin color would be. Now, 
that's horrible in and of itself to think about that, to think that she had to worry about that. And there were other things in there that, you know, obviously we hear these stories. We all have watched The Crown. Let's face it. I resisted, but my wife talked me into it. Um, We've all watched it. We all see it. We know what's going on there. But what I want to talk about is Charlie Kirk. Of course, Charlie Kirk believes this is a lie. Charlie Quirk, Kirk, Quirk, Charlie Kirk was trending on Twitter. Now, I don't know if he believes what he says or he just acts like, you know, a modern uh, Hitler youth type. Uh, I, I don't know if he believes it or he's a performance artist. I, I tend to think he's a bit of a performance artist, frankly. But uh, what else, what do you expect him to say? Let's hear her out. Let's get to the bottom of this. No, of course not. White grievance. Doesn't matter if it's on the other side of the Atlantic. It's a white grievance issue for Charlie Kirk to talk about. Charlie Kirk, white grievance specialist. Poor me. I'm a tall white man with good hair. Give me a break, Charlie. Get a life. I get it. This is your grift. This is how you make your money. But you're going to weigh in on the royal freaking family, Charlie. Cut it out. We know you're an actor. That just proves it. Just like when you were in Philadelphia a couple of years ago with Candace Owens and you got protested by your college freaking roommate. So let's just remember who you are. You're a guy who stages protests against yourself. And I think we've all had enough of you, Charlie Kirk. We know who you are. We see you for who you are. You are nothing but a guy who's playing to a bunch of racists. I don't know if you believe it. I don't care if you believe it. It's horrible either way. And it's time for you to stop. And that's all I'm going to say about it. Okay? I feel for Meghan Markle. I'd never heard her talk before. And frankly, the only reason I saw any part of that interview is because I was watching 60 Minutes. And I got up to make cookies with my daughter that was still on. And I watched it. I watched probably 45 minutes of it. I saw the part where she said that uh, somebody had expressed to her husband. I don't even know her. Harry, whatever his name is. <laughs> the heir and the spare. I remember how they used to call them that when they were William and Harry. Um, you know, I, 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 I feel for her. It's the first time I feel like I've ever heard her talk in my life. And I believed her. Sorry. I believed her, Charlie. I believed her. You believed her too. You probably didn't even watch the interview. One of your producers said, hey, here's something we could get white people mad about. Let's do it. Okay. Yeah. Charlie probably played with matches when he was a kid. He probably played with matches. He still does. He's a horrible human being. It's horrible. I mean, I you know, it's not just him. There's this whole market of people who want to keep people mad all the time. They don't ever want you to be happy about anything, especially now. You know, the economy is going to start doing well. We see now 2 million people a day are getting vaccinated. Things are going to open up. New York State, which was the epicenter of this, 75% capacity in restaurants starting next week. That's pretty good. 30 million people already vaccinated in this country, fully vaccinated. I I mean, you know, every day I hear from another friend who's getting vaccinated. I'm not, you know, I don't have any comorbidities. I'm not obese. Uh, I checked my BMI today to just to make sure I'm not obese. I'm not (laughs) just above normal. Um, It's, uh, 
Uh, you know, I'm waiting for my chance. I saw this thing on 60 Minutes about this uh, possible uh, treatment of a, a medicine that's been around for years, that's already had FDA approval, that is used for uh, people with ADD. And uh, it has this side effect of being able to stop inflammation. And the tests are very, very good. Almost 100% actually, which is amazing. So wait for the national test. But, you know, the fact that there are three vaccines and we have a president that's getting the vaccines out, not like a president who's just like, oh, everybody do what they're supposed to do, yelling at people to do things. And I get it. We've got a couple boneheads like the governor of Texas opening up his state too soon. You know, you want to open up a little bit, increase capacity. I get it. Encourage social distancing and have a mask mandate. What's the big deal? You're not that good looking, Governor Abbott. Most people look better in a mask. I know I do. It's just it's just heartbreaking. Somebody's going to be the last person to die of this, and they're going to catch it at a restaurant in Texas. It's horrible. But we, I see the light at the end of the tunnel, and I know that you know there's a cottage industry on the right of keeping people angry, and it's going to be harder to keep people angry in 2021 as things get better all the time. Now people are going to be getting checks with Joe Biden's signature on it, not Donald Trump's. Look at that. Uninsurance benefits extended. Infrastructure project. We're not going to lay off cops and firefighters and teachers. We're not going to see state governments collapse and county governments collapse because of their lack of revenue uh, during the pandemic. They're going to actually be okay. We're going to see some infrastructure projects built. It's amazing. People are going to get happy. They're going to get jobs. Unemployment's going to continue to fall. People are going to be happy. So what is Charlie Kirk and people like him going to do? They're going to get you mad. Uh, they're going to say Meghan Markle's lying. Like, how could they know? He clearly didn't watch. She didn't look like she was lying to me. Um, you know, it's just, it's ridiculous. And by the way, not for nothing, Charlie Kirk. They didn't say who in the royal family said that to Harry. And if the royal family is like every other family in this country, there's at least one ridiculously racist uncle who uh, doesn't even think he's being racist when he asks that stupid, ridiculous question. And given that these people seem to live forever, I mean, Prince uh, Prince Philip's, what, 100? He's recovering from something. Queen Elizabeth's like 98. The queen mom died at like 105. I'm sure that there's at least one old white dude in the castle who didn't think he was doing anything wrong when he asked that ridiculously racist question. I'm sure Charlie Kirk's family... Has at least one guy, probably, uh, sorry, in Charlie Kirk's family, at least 70% of your family would have asked that question, Charlie. So you don't believe it? Why don't you go ask your racist uncle or cousin or neighbor or just yourself? Like, did you ever ask that question? I don't know. Figure it out. Hey, I got to remind you guys to follow me on Twitter. I'm at Christopher Hahn on Twitter. You have been. Uh, my numbers have increased dramatically since I started begging people to follow me. Um... And, uh, and, and, and thank you again for sharing this podcast. We continue to grow. We continue to, to outdo expectations. And I really do appreciate all the support you've given me. And I want to remind you now, as I always do, to seek the truth. Question everyone or and everything, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there. And I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. 
Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.